Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Welcome everyone to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. We are very excited about our uh, guest today. Andy Humphrey is the owner of Supply Store Brands. I'm so familiar with you because you've been a client of ours for so long. Yes, Supply Store Brands is correct. And we founded, developed, own, and operate SprinklerSupplyStore.com as my largest e-commerce business. Been in e-commerce since 2005. I've had various stores that sell various products from private label items to Amazon items. And then for the last 10 years, since 2010, have been growing SprinklerSupplyStore.com. And I'm happy to say that we are automating a lot of the business where at the start it was literally, hey, I got an order. Let me email the branch and see if they can ship it out. I am so excited about this. And I mean, you went over basically everything in here, but Andy really is cutting edge when it comes to looking at this stuff. We met at IRCE trade show in Chicago a couple of years ago. And, you know, he, he was looking into Skubana as a platform and Chad and I know each other pretty well. And he introduced us, we dug into a little deeper, chose that platform, and we've been helping him connect all sorts of stuff ever since. I want you to go into a, a little bit more, just so people understand a little bit about the business model, as much as you, you're willing to share, obviously, this is going to be a public podcast, so no need to give away all the secret sauce, so to speak. I'd love to give people some background and some understanding as to, you know, where do you come from? What, what even is this business? Yeah, absolutely. So I would kind of call it, to use somebody else's phrase, almost a passion mashup. And what I mean by that is that my professional background started in the wholesale uh, lawn and landscape industry. So I was trained as a landscape architect, did sales and design and estimating for a large landscape contractor in the mid-Atlantic. And then I spent time working in distribution, working directly for manufacturers as uh, regional sales in regional sales management positions. And during that time, sort of right at the beginning, actually, of my career is when I learned how to sell online. So, you know, think of somebody two years out of college, really haven't developed a professional career, but at the same time, learn how to sell online. And, and so what I've done over my career is sort of mastered, tried to master two things. One, the industry, the irrigation and wholesale lawn and landscape industry. And number two, e-commerce. And so I'm in this sort of unique position where I've been able to see both sides of the business model. One is the traditional brick and mortar channel sales. And then number two is where everyone is going, which is the digital transformation. And, you know, I've been carving out sort of my slice of that pie, if you will, by essentially building sprinklersupplystore.com, but not reinventing the wholesale business. So I knew right away that I did not want to be in the business of warehousing thousands or millions of dollars in inventory, knowing that this inventory is sitting out there on shelves all across the country. Some of it moves quickly. A lot of it doesn't turn very quickly, but it's all out there. And so I built my business, Sprinkler Supply Store, that taps into the traditional distribution 
distribution model. And I would think of it today as, as it's mostly B2C. So we have some B2B business. But if you think about the lawn and garden and lawn and landscape industry, it, it is a huge DIY industry. So it is something that homeowners can do themselves versus plumbing or electrical, which requires much more skill, trade, certifications, licenses, and all of that. And so that what I'm really doing is sort of building a B2C with some B2B integration into the wholesale distribution model. That's powerful. And I love, I mean, this may be actually the, you know, in terms of the process that we discussed today. So one of the things we do on Automate, Delegate, Eliminate is that we actually jump in and pick apart a process and we decide what we did to automate, delegate, or eliminate. And I love what you said at the very beginning. Like at the very beginning of this, you know, it was literally like, hey, uh, branch person, I have a new order. Let me email it over to you. And you were copying and pasting manually. And I mean, a lot of really, really powerful things that I love that you saw that opportunity to automate and decided you would turn it into an entire business of like, you know, let's leverage the inventory that's already out there and build uh, partnerships and connections that allow you to supply in a distributed way, you know, across the country. Yeah. And it, you could think of it like dropship. So let's fundamentally call it dropship. However, I would call it like fully integrated dropship or, it's, you know, maybe cheesy dropship 2.0. But yeah, it's like we're providing the digital distribution model on top of or layering on top of the existing product supply chain. And it's mutually beneficial because those existing supply chains don't, and I'm saying this sort of generically speaking, some are doing it, but most don't have these types of systems and processes in place. And so they could also use partners like Sprinkler Supply Store to help move more product into new markets that they're currently not serving. And, you know, it's interesting thinking back to the to the day one. <laughs> and I kind of look at everything like Bezos is day one. Every day is day one. However, the original day one was, hey, I've got an idea. I know how to sell parts or I know how to sell products online. I've been doing it for a few years. I want to tap this industry that I that I really know. Found a distributor that was willing to work with me. And it's not worth, this will go to your, probably what we'll talk about in terms of automating. Things aren't worth automating or investing in unless you know or you have a pretty good feeling that it's going to be a long-term play and it's going to be repeatable again and again. And so when we first built this, you know, thinking, why would we invest in all this automation? Let's just go get an order. Like literally, let's just go get an order. If we have one order, then I have no trouble typing that up in an email and saying, hey, Joe, here's the customer's address. I need you to ship part XYZ. And during that process, when you're doing it manually is when you learn. You learn all the failure points, what works and what doesn't work. And what's interesting is the first thing that we, we found that didn't work was email. Because email is really a one-way communication tool. There's really no expectation that if I say, hey, Joe, I need you to ship part XYZ to Bob Smith in Cincinnati, he may do it and he may not, but he's not going to tell me either way. He won't reply back. And so email just became this like one-way tool that sometimes Bob would ship the order, sometimes he wouldn't. And the only way for us to know is if we followed up, said, hey, do you have that tracking number? And so that sort of, those were where the initial seeds were planted, where we really needed to complete this, this full loop, if you will, so that the data that we sent over was coming back. We had confirmations through the entire process. An email so, was a bad tool. 
I love that. So there are a couple of nuggets that I want to pull out there for the listeners. The first nugget is if you're going to build a business, because a business is just a, a series of processes that you've put together. And in Andy's business, he discovered that my business is all about creating an order. The first time he did that, he did not do it automatically. He did not invest in the infrastructure to go and figure that out. He figured out how to fulfill one order and then two orders and then three orders. And it probably wasn't until he'd done 50 or 60 or even 100 before he was like, oh, shiz, we really need to figure out a way to automate this. He figured out that there was really demand there. So I love a book called The Lean Startup. And in The Lean Startup, it talks a lot about how you have to prove your assumptions. So Andy assumed that there were people out there who wanted to buy sprinkler supply parts online. And he proved that assumption by doing it manually a whole bunch of times and, and getting it out there via email. And then he proved another assumption that email was the bad way to do it. He just went and found the easiest way to do it initially. That was email. Discovered, oh crap, this is not working. And that's powerful. So so two nuggets there. One, do it manually five times. That's, that's kind of the mantra we tell people. Like before you automate that, do it manually five times. And when you've done it manually five times, you may discover by the fifth time that you've done it, that that was a process that actually should have been eliminated. So if I was going to say what, you know, I got a process, I got a business that I'm starting, do it manually five times, then get to that pivot point of should I automate, delegate or eliminate? You know, is it time to leave this process behind or move forward. So, so let's talk about three questions that we apply to most of our processes that we're automating inside data automation. The, the question we ask is, where is the data now? Where does it need to go? And what needs to happen to it in between? So as you look at those three questions in terms of Andy's order that, that he's trying to get out, where's the data now? It's sitting inside Andy's system. Was it Shopify? What, 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 what did you take that initial order through? Yeah, currently we're, it's Shopify, but back in the day, it was on the, the number one platform at that time, which was Volusion, good old Volusion. Volusion. And you know, it's funny, I still come across people that use Volusion every once in a while. But yeah, so so the order came in via Volusion, it was sitting there. And where did it need to go? Where did that order yeah, need needed to go? to go to the branch that was willing to ship for us. So again, you got to remember, we were and we still are tapping into resources that generally do not ship direct to consumer. So we're asking somebody to do something that is not typical for them, i.e. put these 10 parts in a box, put the packing slip in and put a UPS sticker on it. Got it. So, you know, over goes this data and that's where it needs to go. What needs to happen to it in between is the third question we ask about every process. And uh, in this situation, there really wasn't much transformation that needed to happen. It just needed to get over there and somebody needed to fulfill the order. And now his process actually has some interesting pieces to it because it has some tail end pieces where there is data that needs to come back. So let's talk about that data that needs to come back. Yeah. And there's actually two, two parts that were done manually. So number one, I had to create the the email that had the parts and the address, I had to send it to the guy in the branch. Then the guy in the branch has to enter it into their ERP system, right? To put this PO, if you, if you call it that, into their computer system. So he pulls out my email or prints it off, enters it in as an order. Only then can he print the pick ticket to go get the items to put it in the box before he can even ship it out. So there's two manual processes that were done at that time. Got it. And so so as he's looking at it, so so you can see how these these processes are sort of dovetailing together and we're getting lots of different manual steps that were coming in there. And and that time starts to add up. One of the reasons we ask people, where's the data now? Where does it need to go and what needs to happen to it in between is because what we're really trying to sum up is what does the return on investment look like if we were to completely eliminate 
the manual pieces of that process. And those returns could be just flat out time that no longer needs to be invested, as well as accuracy of going for what's here. And you think about this process, the end goal of an order is that tracking number, which generally signifies the orders on its way, right? It generally signifies that, hey, now now we are, current, we are sending this off to that end customer and they're going to be happy and they're going to come back and buy from us again and again and again. So I, I love that. So you were using Volusion and and you you got in there. Let's talk about what it looked like to automate that process. Yeah, so before I'll speak to it, before where we are today, which is with Skibana, we've used a number of other third-party uh, pieces of software to automate it. And what we did originally, so we, there was two parts to it. Number one, the inventory has got to come to me. So if I'm selling something online, I have to set the expectation to the customer that it either is available or it is not available. So if they're ordering it, I've got to have that inventory information so that if the customer orders it, we set it's available, it has to be available. And so what we did is they started sending me a CSV file that had a list of parts and had quantities. And we would get that on an interval and we would have that imported into our Volusion store. And then we would automate and send our orders. Again, this is a custom integration that was built almost 10 years ago, you know, sort of year two, let's call it year two in the business, we would send the wholesaler the orders in two digital files. So we had some of this was complicated because their ERP was old fashioned and didn't have API and ways to connect to it. It could only import flat files off of an FTP. So we had to send them two flat files. One was the header of the orders and one was the line items. And so we had to build that that automation. And what what worked was we could send our orders to them. Where where it started to break down was when there was, say, a part number discrepancy. So when you're sending data back and forth, it, we quickly realized that one part number that could get changed in our wholesaler system, if if we didn't if they changed the part number, it didn't tell us that order may may drop out, and it could be as simple as they added or removed a dash in the part number, you know. So keep in mind these are before the days of having what you might call like a SKU ID some string of numbers that never changes. So today we match up with SKU IDs. So we have a, a number that never changes. You could change the part number all day long, but the SKU ID that syncs us together isn't gonna change. So it's important to have like some common threads that, that is the glue that holds that automation together. So I'll keep going. We would send them the order and then they would use their shipping software. You know, let's just call it uh, WorldShip, right? I think UPS WorldShip. They would ship it out in there ERP system at a world ship. And then we tried syncing the orders back to us, you know, so the full order. And every time we synced, we would have places of failure. So what we sort of quickly learned is the less we have to send that data around, the better. So we ended up sort of deploying a shipping software at their quote unquote ship station so that they would use our shipping software. And by using our shipping software, we didn't have to sync those orders backwards because the shipping software was connected to our e-commerce store. And so that was the final order send, if you will. They'd ship it. And then that information would sync back to our system. So as a drop shipper, and we do a lot of automation for drop shippers, as a drop shipper, there are generally three flows that we see happening inside a drop shipping system. The first flow that we see is inventory numbers, just like Andy said. We pull in an inventory number from an FTP site, from an API, from wherever that data is. 
we, we pull in and aggregate that data inside a system like Scubano or Channel Advisor, or one of these other inventory management systems. That allows Andy to make decisions about, okay, order B comes in and order B happens to be in South Dakota. What do I have that's closest to South Dakota that can actually make the connection happen there for that customer, right? So that can't be done without the inventory side of it. Then the other side of it is you have to do orders going out to that dropshipper, right? So how do I get those orders out to the dropshipper so that they can start taking care of whatever it is? And then the third piece is the one that he's talking about right there is that's the tracking numbers, right? Got to get that tracking information back into my ERP system so I can send back to Amazon or back to Volusion or Shopify or whatever the wherever the order was placed. I can let that customer know, hey, this is on its way. And so with those three things in place, and, and this is actually even I mean, even more powerful in terms of what was there, Andy was discovering, hey, if I let these guys use their own shipping platform, then somebody on that side has to be responsible for going and finding that tracking number and bringing it back to me, or I have to integrate to it, but that wasn't an option. And so Andy took it a step further and he said, you know what? I'm going to provide the shipping software for these individuals to log in. And then I obviously have my own connection to it because I own that piece of software. And so, you know, it, it created a closed loop where all three of those inventory tracking and orders, all three of those flows were able to, to coexist and function. Yeah. When I talk about inventory, it took us a long time. It wasn't until maybe 18 months ago that we finally had this concept of, of a SKU ID in the system because part numbers are constantly changing. And you can get somebody that's working for this in the supplier's uh, ERP system updating parts, and they don't have a workflow that says, remember to tell Andy, changed part number 123 to dash 123. <laughs> And, and it's just not a scalable solution. And so we finally have a merchandising uh, process in place that allows the part numbers to change as often as they want to, knowing that the common SKU ID under the hood will never change, almost like it's a database record. And they can go change the part number all they want. So you got to that inflection point, and I like to call this inflection point the pause point or the point at which you've decided, I've done this manually so many times, it's time to take that to the next level. It's time to decide what to do next. You got to that point and you decided to automate instead of delegate or eliminate. I'm curious, had you already delegated before you automated or, or did you yes. go straight to automation? Yes. So at the time, it was just myself and one other person. So we were doing this by hand. And when it comes to either automating or delegating, they can have the same outcome. So if it's me, or let's say it's you, I would have two choices. I can either automate it or delegate it. That just means I'm not doing it anymore. Either means the computer's going to do it or some other human's going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. And when I think about that, I think there's two reasons why that's important. First is the most obvious. I just want to go sit on the beach. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to work less. Tired of tired of working so much, I want to work less. But more importantly, I like to think of it as subbing out your time for, for something better. So if I can do something that creates more value with my time than what I'm currently doing in repetition, then I want to add more value. So in its basic form, if, it, if it's costing me, pick a number. $25 an hour to do X, but I can outsource that $25 an hour by either automating or delegating it, knowing that I can go charge $50 an hour to do something else. I'm going to continue to evolve and do the highest value tasks that are possible. So when you're looking at, you know, okay, it is time to tackle this and get where it needs to be and build out the business, look at those next steps, look at where it goes, you know, tell me about 
what do you do to decide that you have something more valuable to do in your business? What processes do you put in place or checks do you put in place to decide when it's time to delegate or when it's time to automate? I think there's two things to look at. Number one is is the task going to be revenue producing or is the task going to be expense eliminating? So two things you wanna do in business, increase revenue or decrease expenses. And so if there's a task that will either decrease your expenses more substantially than, than the automation, of course, you don't wanna just sub one for the other, um, or drive more revenue. So one scenario could be we have 300 new SKUs we wanna put in our system that we wanna add and merchandise, have pictures of, descriptions, you know, go through the whole merchandising process of 300 SKUs. Well, if I want to add 300 SKUs, and I want to take somebody's time and move it from, uh, in this case, entering orders into a system by hand or adding 300 new SKUs, those 300 new SKUs are going to be worth X in potential revenue. And so I would want to focus on what are those things that are going to bring in more revenue and automate the process uh, that was that was manually done before. Interesting. So you you do a calculation on ROI and and try to decide where that goes. Do you look for like I want to double? Like like if if it's fifteen dollars an hour now, I'm going to go for thirty dollars an hour that I want to make before I start to move, or or do you have a ratio? I don't have any specific number, so I would say it's pretty much a calculated gut feeling. <laughs> if that's even a way to do it, a calculated gut feeling. It would be twofold because if you're out of time in the day, you're out of time in the day. But if you still have more time in the day, you might as well keep doing that task. In other words, if that's not, if, if, you, if it takes you an hour, but you have two hours still in your day, you keep doing it. So you keep doing that task until there's either something of greater value or you've run out of time. So you look for a capacity threshold, you look for a bottleneck of some kind of that's like, okay, now all I'm doing all day is copying and pasting orders, which doesn't leave me time to create new listings and new SKUs, which I know has to happen in order for my store to grow and expand. But until you hit that threshold, you pumped the brakes on automating. And, and I think there's two different, you know, there are multiple ways to look at that. I, I, I know some people that don't wait until they hit that capacity, but I know others that, that do wait. And I think both are interesting rules of thumb are, around looking at it. So it's interesting that, that that's how you're looking at it. You're looking at like, okay, once I hit some capacity, that's when I want to pump the brakes. And yeah, and I would rather, uh, I would rather have too much work on the plate before taking some off. And there may be some other people that don't even want the plate to be half full before they start taking off. I'd rather there be too much to do, not enough time to do it, then start automating or delegating or eliminating, but not until we've filled up the funnel, if you will, so full that now we've got to get through it. Yeah, that's powerful. Data automation. And, and so one of the things I like to do on these podcasts is I open the curtain and I tell people exactly where data automation is in terms of its growth. And we've been through a, a cyclical cycle of growth where back in 2018, we brought on another salesperson and we grew to the point where I wasn't involved in sales much at all. And uh, in October of uh, 2019, we started working on a new framework. We call it the modular steps framework or the modular automation framework. And that framework um, allowed us to build out your integration. Your integration was one of the first that was built out on, on that new framework. And like you mentioned, you know, 18 months ago, that, that's kind of when we really started getting some of these things dialed in for you and, and working on it. And my role as the individual leading data automation was to really push on some of these things. So I took on sales, I took on some project management, you know, we had some internal shifts. And so it's taken about a year and a half 
to the point where we're now at the point now where we have customer service. We have a customer service person that we delegated to back in October. So you look at that time frame. I took about a year to the point where we had me and the developers and it was just us, me and the developers. And Andy can tell you based on his experience with data automation that as we've grown, we saw opportunities to automate, delegate and eliminate. So we got to that stage of, okay, now we're going to bring on a project manager. And she's done a fantastic job of getting in there. Now, it's been a year and a half. We're finally at the point where we're looking at, okay, now it's time to delegate some of the sales opportunities. And as I'm evaluating that opportunity, I'm looking and seeing, okay, my plate's completely full. I have this podcast and several other initiatives that we're pushing forward that I believe will be extremely valuable because they expand our reach into the, the sphere of people that are out there. And then we're working on delegating that responsibility of sales uh, to bring in more of that of what's there. And it's the exact same as what you said. Waited till the hopper was completely full, saw some huge opportunities for podcasting, for speaking at trade shows and looking at other ways to increase demand for data automation and decided, okay, it's time to start delegating, time to start looking for that, that salesperson. Yeah. And I think that there's two ways to go about it. This way that we that you just spoke to, that's how you and I have done it, which I would say is a more accurate way of doing it, but perhaps a slower way. But financially, you've probably burned less by doing it this way. The other way would be we want to race to a number. So we're going to pour a bunch of money on this, knowing that we're hiring some people that may not have jobs that truly matter in six months, but we don't know. So let's just go hire a team and go do all this, knowing that it's going to cost us maybe 50% or 100% more to get there, but you'll get there quicker. And as an entrepreneur, you either, I think there's two types, an entrepreneur that doesn't have any money that's bootstrapping and growing smart and the entrepreneur that, that either has money or has investors. And they're two different approaches that potentially could get to the same outcome. It's just speed and how much money it's going to cost you. Well, and you have to think about what it is that you're working on too, right? Like if you're working on something that is specific to a global trend that is going to go away, you probably need to be looking at some of those investors, right? Because you're pushing on something that has to be automated, delegated and eliminated in a very short cycle of time. Whereas there are other things that it doesn't take as much to to automate and eliminate and, and you can deal with a longer opportunity in terms of, of how long it takes for things to get done. So it's it's okay that it takes a little bit longer because the you know the cycle and what's there. But you really do have to, you know, pay attention to the industry trends, pay attention to the the people that are out there and what they're what they're doing, pay attention to how your customers are reacting and you have to react accordingly. So it's not to say that investment is all bad. You just have to pay attention to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about eliminate. We've talked a lot about automate. We've talked a lot about delegate. Let's talk about eliminate. What do you do? A lot of people like to call this the stop doing list, so to speak. What do you do, Andy, inside your company to get on that stop doing list or to, to find things that, that should be stopped? So one thing that we did probably been two years. Uh, so so phone is something that I don't think a computer can replicate. And I don't think that some outsourced customer service team can replicate phone. I think phone support orders are a touch point that if a business provides it can go a really long way because you've probably had instances where you felt like you wanted to call a company and you can't, but if you can, it creates that ultimate customer relationship. So what we found is that our phones were blowing up just a lot with orders, with where's my tracking number? I have a question. Does this part go with this part? And how do I replace this sprinkler? And you name it. And we put our phone hours for the whole day. So 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. People could call in. 
And what we decided to do was to shorten the call-in window. So rather than just eliminate phones entirely, which has definitely crossed our minds before, but I think phone is powerful. We just said, I wonder what would happen if we moved our phone hours between 10 and 4. So we eliminated those three hours. So you couldn't call between 8 and 10 or after 4. We never had one customer complaint. So we were we had the phones wide open the whole day. It wasn't necessary. And those people that want to call will just wait until 10 or between 10 and 4 and they'll call us. We never had anybody complain. We, we were just so shocked. And what that did is it freed up customer service. Now they have two extra hours in the morning to respond to emails from the night, projects they're working on, and still take chat, but the phone doesn't ring and interrupt them. So we eliminated those hours, and I was shocked. So that was some advice I would give to anyone. Just put your phone hours for like one hour a day. It doesn't matter. Just tell people when they can call. Interesting. So as you looked at your phone hours and you tried to decide, what, what was it that made you decide? I mean, was it was it a capacity thing? Same as what we were talking about before? Okay. It was a distraction. So you can think and you're in the middle of somebody's email and then the phone rings. And then what happens then is you could forget to go back and do what you were working on before. And so the phone can become a distraction when you're multitasking with chat and with email. And so uh, we gave us those two extra hours. And on my team, the customer service manager also processes the returns and that um, so that gave him two extra hours in the day to uh, handle physically handle returns, like check items in kind of opened up the window for extra time. Like I said, our customers were never complained. They were still happy to get through. So that this is powerful. It, it's important that we recognize that sometimes the things we're using our bandwidth on isn't needed. It isn't it isn't actually contributing to the customer experience in a way that is positive enough that it's going to affect the bottom line. So you eliminated those hours. Did you see a decrease in sales? No. And so so you were able to gain ROI, gain additional resources by literally just taking something away from a client. Correct. Powerful, powerful lesson there. I mean, obviously, we spend a lot of time talking about automate and delegate, automate and delegate, automate and delegate. And I think it's really important that you create a, a process inside your organization that brings things up for evaluation as far as elimination is concerned. Do you have any set processes where like once a month, you'll get down with your executive team and look at everything and say, hey, you know what, probably should stop doing that. Or what if we cut back here? Or what if we cut back there? Do you have anything like that that you put in place? You know, we've seen that we've done this for 10 years. We've got a lot of that in place. So our returns are completely automated. We don't ask somebody to email us for authorization. They log in, they find their order, they create the return. That was a very time consuming task, as well as it's better service for the customer. It's a better experience. And I think that we're, we're moving into this time where, and I see it myself, and you probably do too, I get frustrated whenever it's requiring a human. However, I know that a computer can do it. I just start thinking, what the hell? This, I, I shouldn't have to email, you know, returns at saidcompany.com, wait 48 hours for somebody to send me back an authorization number. Just let me take care of this myself. Uh, so we've done a lot of that. What software do you use uh, for handling returns? Uh, it's a Shopify app. I think it's called Returns Center. So I'm going to give a little nugget here for creative e-commerce, let's call it. Due to the nature of our products, we have some that are very small and some that are really large and oversized that we don't offer prepaid return shipping. However, we offer two opportunities for someone to return their product. 
Uh, number one would be a small restock fee. And again, we're selling wholesale, so we don't sit on this big fat margin. And a lot of times people buy a whole bunch of parts for a project and then they return the leftovers. So that's one use case. So we offer either a small restock fee or we offer 110% money back. And so what was interesting by by offering this 110% money back is that, and that's the store credit. So let me preface that by saying it's a store credit. So if you buy $100 worth of goods and you return $100 worth of goods, we're going to give you $110 in store credit. So like if I don't get my cash back in my hands, you'll give me $110 as a credit yeah. to work to use on Sprinkler Supply Store. Correct. So the customer gets more money than they than they even use to purchase. And then we get a re repeat customer out of it. But it's just it was just an interesting way to put a spin on returns that's turned out to be really awesome for us. And it also dodges the question of why are you charging a restock fee? Because now it gets them to focus on the 110. I love it. That's brilliant. So so there's no restock fee. And, and how often do you have what, what percentage would you say? What percentage go for the I want my money in my pocket versus it's only like 25% want the money back on their card. Most take the store credit and then we get a repeat customer out of it. Well, that's beautiful, too, because there's there's then margins associated with that new money that they've got. You got the product back so you can resell that product. So you're not taking the hit there. That's powerful. That's really, really powerful. So the, here's the opportunity for you and I. We got to create an app that automates that because it doesn't exist. We have to go in manually. We've got to create the gift card, if you will, to put on their account <laughs> because there no, there's not one return software today that, that does that. So Andy, we're going to have another call later this week where you and I are going to play with a, the Shopify API and we're totally going to build you an app that does the 110% returns that allows the user to make that choice. I mean, that's the powerful thing. And we could go through the whole process of where's the data now? Where does it need to go? What needs to happen to it in between? And we will, right, Andy? Like we're, we're going to jump on a call later this week and we'll talk about it and we'll see where that goes. And you may come to me and say, hey, you know what, Will? It's not quite ready yet. We're not quite, we don't have enough of these coming through that it makes sense to automate it yet. But you've you've systemized the process. You've done it way more than five times manually. I mean, this is this is the power of automation and, and what it means to grow your business that way. And, and you've shared some really solid nuggets for anybody that wants to get into drop shipping or partnering with places that don't normally ship like you are just a, a powerful episode here so i have one one last question for you or two two questions actually one i want you to share a parting piece of wisdom uh to the entrepreneurs listening and and if you, even if you're listening you don't consider yourself an entrepreneur you might be an intrapreneur and you're interested in automation i believe that the process of automating something really is about building a new business uh or a new product process inside a business. And, and I call that an intrapreneur. And so I think that you've got some opportunities there. So what is a piece of wisdom that you would share with our listeners? Yeah, I would say that as an entrepreneur, you've got to be a doer and a builder. And so before you invest in any piece of technology, you've got to do things yourself, get in there, build something. So if you want to get into e-commerce, literally go open a big commerce account, a Shopify, accounts, WooCommerce. And even if it's not the product you want to sell, just go figure out how to put some products on your website, uh, t-shirts or shoes, just make a fake store, but build something. So the number one thing I feel like an entrepreneur needs to do is learn how to do 90% of it themselves so that they can make smart decisions when it comes to the automate, delegate, eliminate, because you have to know in order to make those decisions. 
Beautiful. That's powerful. So if you've been sitting on an idea for a long time, it's time to get up. Tomorrow's the day. Today's the day. Get out, Google it. You could honestly, if you look around and you spend, like, let's say that this Saturday you blocked off eight hours of time, you are going to be able to set up a, a WordPress store, install WooCommerce, upload some pictures, integrate Stripe, and to the races, right? You you will have something that's that's fully functional. Yeah, um, I think that that's the that is what drives entrepreneurs. They think about it so much they have to do it. Everyone else just, you know, gets rich at happy hour with beer and wine. Everybody leaves with a rich idea. <laughs> yep. Everybody leaves with a rich idea. All right. So last question I have for you here is if the listeners are looking to get in touch with you, um, either, you know, to learn a little bit more about drop shipping or learn a little bit more about what you're doing, maybe to buy some some sprinkler parts or just, you know, general advice on uh, landscaping, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so they can visit sprinklersupplystore.com. That's our that's our business. They can reach out to me personally. I've recently started my own podcast called The Sprinkler Nerd. So you can find The Sprinkler Nerd on your favorite <laughs> podcasting app. And you can email me, which is andy at sprinklernerd.com. Beautiful, Andy. I'm looking forward for our episode later where we start talking automation and sprinkler nerds. So if they happen to pick you up on that on that podcast as well, I'm looking forward to that episode we talked about earlier. It's been a pleasure having you here and I'm excited to, to wrap this up. Yeah, you too, Will. Thanks for everything you're doing. Always appreciate your help. Awesome. That is our episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Be sure to listen in for more episodes as we explore more automation, delegation, and elimination. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.